When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to another edition of the 66 to 87 podcast. I am Tom Reed and joined as always by Dave Molinari. Uh, we will continue our look through the Metro Division today, uh, focusing on the New York Rangers. We'll be joined by Larry Brooks of the New York Post, but uh, training camp is finally underway. Dave, I'm assuming you passed your physical step in your skating. Um, fortunately, uh, we don't have to have physicals, uh, to gain admittance to the press box. Uh, I think, uh, I might, uh, fare a little worse on that than I did in Oriental art history in college. So, <laughs> uh, um, I, I am, uh, hoping to use these next few weeks to really sharpen my adverbs though. So, you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's preseason for all of us. <laughs> Um, uh, as we said, that things are, things are uh, going there. You got things going in, in Cranberry. Uh, even uh, Sidney Crosby is uh, skating, as you, re- I think, were the first to report. He's not obviously practicing with the group per se because his, his one wrist is still not quite ready to go. But at least it's a good sign that he's out there practicing with the boy. The captain's out there practicing with the boys. One person who we knew wouldn't be there and, uh, if there were necessarily hopes of maybe some good news and quick healing, uh, I think Penguins fans were maybe hoping for some good news with Evgeny Malkin. Uh, but Dave, when when uh, you guys met with Ron Hextall uh, on on Thursday, pretty much said uh, December at the earliest, huh? Or two months? Is that that was kind of the the, the gist of it? Yeah, at least two months. And just just to clarify something so people don't get the wrong impression, Crosby is working out on his own. Yeah, okay. Uh, not with, he's not practicing with, with the team. Yeah. Uh, and he's only practicing uh, in the biggest uh, sense of the word. Uh, you know, it's, it's mostly he's skating. You know, he's... he's holding he's carrying his stick with his right hand you know not his left which is the one that was surgically repaired so yeah. don't want to give anybody the impression that uh he either is back with the team or or will be rejoining it you know any minute now that that i think is still a, a ways off oh. uh as as for malkin though um i guess that uh hextall probably gave us a hint that the uh the news that was delivered on Thursday 
could be less than uh, encouraging when he said that uh, when they announced a while ago that that Malkin would miss at least training camp. Um, you know, it's, and so when uh, when the at least phrase cropped up again on Thursday, you know, there's uh, reason to at least be a little pessimistic that it will only be the, uh, the two months that, that Ron Hextall uh, put on the t- a time frame for, for his return, uh, you know, as camp was getting going. So, yeah, it's um, certainly not what uh, the Penguins or their fan base uh, uh, was hoping to hear, but, you know, they they have to uh, go where reality takes them. Yeah, and and Dave, we, at the end of the season, uh, you know, uh, at the end of the season, uh, obviously Malkin had kind of come back, uh, got ready for the playoffs. He was out late in the year, played in the playoffs, played all right. He played pretty well. Uh, obviously, it was a quick in and out. And right at the end, we're talking about, okay, what's going to happen with him and Chris Letang? They're, they're obviously two, you know, just uh, indispensable players on this team, part of these three Stanley Cup uh, wins uh, starting in 09. And we thought, okay, sometime later this summer, we'll hear contract extension time for both of these guys. The next bit is, as you alluded to, well, he's going to have surgery on his knee and is going to at least miss training camp. Now the talk of he may be out at least to December begs the question, Dave, if you're the Penguins, and and this guy is without question a Hall of Fame player, uh, one of the five, ten most important players in the franchise history. He's also 35 years old and, and ser- <clears throat> pretty obviously coming off a serious knee problem here. Where are you with what they should do as far as contract? Because I'm wondering if if you at this point start to think, maybe wait, maybe wait until the end of this season, even though you would then risk possibly risk losing him. But do you think the Penguins would possibly take uh, that approach with him given – you're going to have not going to have a ton of time to to see him uh, next season, and even before the trade deadline. Not saying that they would trade him, but where are you right now with what you would do with a contract with him? Well, I certainly wouldn't be in in any kind of rush to get a contract done. Uh, you absolutely, I think, would want to see him play for an extended period before you would even consider making a significant. Uh, financial commitment to him or, or even in terms of, of length of a, a contract. Uh, when a guy's in his mid-30s and coming off a, a major operation to a major joint, um, you know, that, that's cause for concern and, and certainly, certainly reason to be cautious uh, in how you proceed about, you know, hitching yourself to that particular thoroughbred uh, you know the uh, the next contract that Evgeny Malkin gets is, is going to be uh, based on on projections of what he can contribute in the future not what he's done in the past and you know the fact that he's uh, you know a, a pretty certain Hall of Famer uh, shouldn't really 
affect you know what what kind of deal the the penguins give him or how quickly they give him one uh in, in a uh salary cap era uh, a, a team that is flirting with the cap ceiling year in and year out can't afford to make a a big money mistake so i think it would be prudent uh of ron hextall to uh be very cautious and deliberate in, in uh how he approaches negotiations with with Malkin's camp and uh you know i i think that if you know the, the penguins would like to keep Malkin they would like to have him and Crosby uh retire as, as penguins and i've never heard Malkin express an interest in, in playing elsewhere um so i you know I, I think it just makes sense for all concerned to to not rush into anything yeah, and the other part of this too, and we knew this when Ron Hextall and Brian Burke were brought in here, is they are they are tasked with this really difficult thing of trying to keep contending with one eye to at some point here soon you're going to have to start looking at a real bit rebuild. And what complicates this in my eye is this is not a team this is a team that's lost four straight playoff series. It's not a sense of well we bring Malkin back into the fold and we're right back. We're right back in it. We're, we're going to be, we're right there. One of the top two or three teams in the Eastern conference, not to say that they might still not be able to wring one more run out of this, but this is something that Ron Hextall has to kind of look at this with, okay, we're contending, but here in a couple of years, how much longer do we want this guy, you know, just with where the team is right now? Yeah, that's, I mean, you know, it, it might sound cold or harsh, right? but, you know, the NHL is a business and sometimes you have to make difficult business decisions. And, you know, if, if Malkin would return to something close to full health, then he probably has a couple more productive years in him. He's not, you know, he's not going to be the the player he once was, uh, you know, that's not a reasonable expectation for a guy who will be moving on to the dark side of his 30s. But, you know, uh, it's his skills will not have totally deserted him. But if he has a knee that he can't rely on, you know, it's uh, you have to at least consider the possibility that, uh, you know, the future without Malkin as, as a part of it might be coming sooner than than you would have liked. Yeah, it's fascinating. It's something that, you know, Dave and Taylor will be monitoring all season uh, and into maybe next off season. So, all right, we're just getting started here on the 606087 podcast. As we said, we'll have Larry Brooks a little bit later. We're going to get into some camp battles and some some news around the NHL. Stick, Stay with us here on the 66287 podcast. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer.
Welcome back to the 66 to 87 podcast. As we said, we will have it a little bit later. We will continue our look around the Metro Division with a look today with Lily Brooks from the New York Post. But, uh, well, training camp is, as we said, is underway. Uh, and at this time of year, especially with what we just mentioned, two of the, two of the biggest names, the two biggest names of this team won't be out there on the ice uh, early in the season with Malkin, won't be out to December. So there's some more camp battles that maybe we would have expected, that for, at least in the summer. Dave, uh, run us through some of the more intriguing battles for positions and for jobs right now uh, on this roster. Well, probably the uh, the the battles that will get the, the most attention are <clears> – <throat> are the ones uh, to replace Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin in the middle of the, the top two lines. Um, <clears throat> here in the early stages of camp, Jeff Carter seems like a pretty obvious choice to play on the, on the first line where Crosby normally is. And at this point, you know, it seems logical to believe that uh, Jake Gensel and Brian Rust would be his line mates, although, you know, that's certainly subject to change if the coaching staff decides there are wingers who work better with uh, with Carter than, than one of those two. The real battle, and the, the really interesting one of, of the two, I think, is who will replace Malkin, uh, because, you know, they don't happen to have a spare Malkin on the shelf. <laughs> <clears throat> and you know it's you you can't really read too much into early line uh or combinations uh early in training camp but i found it kind of interesting that uh when camp opened they had teddy bluger uh between zach aston reese and brock mcginn uh which is their the line from last year with mcginn plugged into the brandon tanov spot right. uh bluger is one of the people that those on on the outside had kicked around as a possible second line, you know, fill in for Malkin. And I don't think you can rule out that possibility yet, but um, a guy I think that, that might get consideration for that uh, is Evan Rodriguez. He's certainly not uh, Evgeny Malkin, but, you know, he's, he's a veteran, he's responsible, he's versatile, he's, you know, he's got decent offensive skills, and I think he could be a, you know, a capable placeholder, at least until Crosby comes back, at which point you could then drop uh, Jeff Carter back onto the second line. But, you know, we'll have to wait and see about that. Uh, you know, they're also going to have to find a, uh, a partner, from Mike Matheson, since Cody Cece has moved on to Edmonton uh, via free agency, uh, kind of tough just yet to to get a handle on who the front runner there might be. Uh, my inclination probably would be to give John Marino a shot at that because I think he is uh, has the kind of defensively responsible game that that would allow Matheson to. Uh, to make the most of his offensive talents. But, you know, Chad Ruedel is a, is a legitimate contender, I think. Mark Friedman might get a look there. So we certainly don't know how that's going to play out either. And then <clears throat> there are uh, some spots on special teams. Uh, Crosby obviously is a fixture on the number one power play. 
Malkin got most of his power play work on the top unit. So, you know, there will be some some new faces there. And uh, you not only will have those new faces, but maybe, you know, we'll see Todd Reardon make some tactical adjustments to, you know, adapt to the changes in personnel. Um, still a little early in camp to see exactly what he might have in mind there. And, uh, you know, the same is true. The uh, They lost two of their most relied upon penalty killers in, in Cody Cece and Brandon Tanev, mm-hmm. who ranked uh, second and third respectively in, in most uh, average shorthanded time per game uh, last season. Both of those guys were, you know, well over two minutes each per game. And, uh, you know, that's a significant amount of time that they're, they're going to have to replace on, on a unit that wasn't all that, you know, spectacularly successful. So it's, is, uh, is there is, is the thought, uh, well, let's, let's, let's deal with this right away. Um, seemingly early. And one of the guys that we talked about coming in, on a uh, a tryout uh, was 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 uh, Brian Mill. Do you think that he has a shot at making the team? Uh, is it, does it look like they're going to give him a legitimate shot of 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 making this team? Oh, I I think they're absolutely going to give him a shot. I th- I think things are uh, almost weighted in favor. You know, here in in the early stages of uh, of uh, that you know. They, they're they're almost uh, pulling for him to uh, to make it. I, I noticed a, a couple of things. Uh, the the first that struck me was they gave him a space in the main locker room, mm, you know, yeah. which is uh, usually reserved for the you know the returning letterman and the stab, <laughs> you know the yeah. established guys. Uh, you don't often see guys on tryouts in in the main room you know at the, at the start of a training camp now you know perhaps that's just a show of respect for a 36 year old guy who's played a lot of games in the league uh, you know we don't know but you know he's a good face-off guy uh, you know the, the penguins certainly need help in that area and especially early on in the season uh, with Crosby expected to miss at least a handful of games, uh, he's their go-to guy on draws. Uh, being uh, adept at that is is something that will certainly help Boyle. So, you know, there's uh, you know, there's a lot of reason to think that that they would like to find a space for him if he can show that that he merits it, which you know will really be based, I think, on how he performs in the exhibition games and then to a, a lesser extent in the, uh, the training camp scrimmages. Uh, sure. Uh, getting back to the, 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 the top nine, um, you often hear coaches when teams are shuffling lines, even without injuries, when, 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 when coaches are looking to, 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 to change some things around, you often hear coaches like to at least keep two guys together. Maybe you're switching a winger, or if you're switching a center, you're keeping guys together. Do you think that may go into at least the initial thinking of keeping maybe Aston Reese and Bluger together? So at least they have t- those two guys have played together. Then you go to the top line. You don't have the center, obviously, uh, but those the two wingers have played together. Do you think maybe that that goes into a little bit of Mike Sullivan's thinking initially? Well, I um, I, I think it's most important to have 
two guys stay together when when one of them is a center. You know, I think when you take the center out of a line, that the wingers don't have the same level of interaction that that a, yeah. a center does with with each of his wingers. Um, in the case of the uh, of uh, Aston Reese and, and Bluger, uh, you know, I they they plugged. Uh, Brock McGinn right into Tanev's old spot. Sure. And I think they did that because they, you know, when, when they signed McGinn, they projected him as a guy that they wanted to see fill that role. So, you know, I, I wanting McGinn to, to step into Tanev's spot made it pretty much a natural for, for them to keep Aston Reese and Bluger together. So, you know, I definitely would expect to see those two, you know, remain a tandem, even if they would uh, ultimately opt against keeping McGinn there. Sure. And, and, you, and of course the, you know, the other thing with, with Crosby, the hope is that, you know, maybe a couple of weeks into the season, he's back. Right. So then, then you're, then you're bumping just Carter down. And that's where I get to the point where if you could keep that third line kind of intact, that's one line you're not, that's one less line you're going to have to, to find chemistry for because they, you would hope that McGinn kind of melds in with those other two guys. And, and you, it's, it's one less line you have to, 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 to uh, kind of fool around with. Uh, the other question, getting back to Jeff Carter, who of course had such a strong year, year at the end of the year coming in, played well in the playoffs. Do, is there concern early on in that, that his minutes are probably going to have to go up, aren't they, Dave? I would oh, think. Yes, yeah, certainly if he's in a top six role yeah. or for as long as he's in a top six role, especially when, when both Crosby and Malkin are out, he absolutely is going to have to play some big minutes. Uh, the good news is, he would have been able to take that into account during the off season. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm sure he was aware of, of at least the possibility that Crosby would be having surgery uh, before it became known that Crosby was having surgery. Yeah. Uh, and also the penguins will be able to kind of limit him in camp just to conserve some energy for him. Obviously you'll, you'll want to give him some work, with the guys that you project as his line mates, you know, presumably Gensel and Rust. Yeah. Uh, but there's, there would be no need to tax a guy who's 36 years old under any circumstances, but certainly not under these circumstances when you're going to lean on him pretty heavily, uh, probably for, for at least a, a couple of months. Yep. And, and especially in, in the early weeks when he, when he's going to be your guy in the middle. Yeah. I, the one good thing about Jeff Carter, we'll, we'll leave it at this and we'll move on. Like I said, well, at the end of this segment is that when, as long as he's healthy and, and he had a couple of years there where his, I don't think his ankle was quite, quite right, but he's a pretty well-conditioned athlete. Uh, and I know we're saying, talking about a 36 year old, but he's, He's in pretty good shape. He's always been a good skater. I, I think that he can. I think he can handle it. Uh, it's just it'll be, the question is how long he will have to to fill that number two role. And again, with Malkin, we we we're not quite sure. So, all right, uh, good stuff from Dave here in the second segment. As as I mentioned, when we come back, we will be joined by Larry Brooks uh, to preview the New York Rangers season. 
Welcome back to the 66 to 87 podcast. And we are now joined by Larry Brooks from the New York Post. Uh, anyone who follows 66 to 87 trivia will know Larry was our first guest on the show back in January when the when hockey restarted last season. So we really appreciate it. Larry, how you doing? I'm doing well. Just back from my first day at the rink. Uh, it was good to be back. It was good to be actually uh, able to speak to players uh, uh, personally and not over a computer screen. So it was, it was a good day. It was good to be back. Rangers are one of the more intriguing teams in the league. Uh, they have gone through a rebuild. They have they are a young, uh, fast, uh, offensive team uh, that has shown some promise, but that did not stop uh, the ownership uh, from making some serious changes. At the end of last season, they cleaned house. Uh, John Davidson, Jeff Gorton, uh, David Quinn, the coach, all gone. Uh, I guess the first thing right away, Larry, did – did this group? Did they make the right decision here? Well, I think I, I think there was a uh, a chasm developed between management and ownership about the um, the actual direction of the program. And when that happens, then it's certainly uh, uh, it's you know it's certainly in the in the team's best interest to have every 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 department aligned. And the owner, Jim Dolan, I think, was was upset at how at the team's lack of competitiveness in games against the Islanders last year. Um, I, I think there was a concern that the rebuild uh, was 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 becoming a self-fulfilling prophecy and, and that the team just was not moving ahead uh, rapidly enough. Um, John Davidson had had said basically from the day he took the job that this was going to be a very long process. Um, but on the way, the Rangers signed Panarin as a free agent. They traded for Jacob Truba. And so I, I so you know it wasn't quite a rebuild it, as as it was a rebuild plus a reshaping. They they wanted they wanted to be able to get back as quickly as possible. And I think a fourth straight year out of the playoffs um, raised some eyebrows. And and listen, it was a surprise. There is there is no question that it came as a surprise. But the way they played against the Islanders last year was very very disturbing. And and that came on top of the way they were manhandled by uh, Carolina in the bubble play-in. You know, sure. it's, it's really interesting. It's so much of last year goes back to the bubble. You know, the, that year, the 1920 year, was a really positive year for the Rangers. I, you know, it was very positive. They brought Shesterkin over in the middle. You know, they brought him over. He came up in the middle of the year. They charged down the stretch. Zibanejad, um was probably the best player in the world over the final three months of the season. And and then, of course, there was the, the pause for COVID, and they – um, because of because of the way they charged down the stretch, they were invited to the 2014 plan. And it was actually the worst thing that could have happened to them. For whatever reason, they were not prepared. They were not ready. Uh, their big guys were just snuffed out. They they didn't look particularly good in train in that summer camp, but there was there was no context to that. And so, you know, then they went to the to the to the bubble in Toronto and just blown out in three games. It was clear that they needed to 
become tougher and and especially so when the divisions were realigned last year and they were caught in this this meat grinder of a division where they're going to play the Islanders eight times and the Caps eight times and and Pittsburgh eight times um you know it in, it was a very very tough division for them and the Bruins eight times uh, it was a tough division for them and they just didn't add any real grit to their team and their their young players were kind of exploited and their top players just did not play well against the Islanders after they did the year before. So this is a this is a long answer to to the question about why the change was made, but that's why the change was made. And it, a lot of it goes back to the way they they were just manhandled in the bubble, and and I think that that was a real eye opener for people that that they didn't respond um, by making personnel moves last year, and so. They've moved ahead, and and listen, there there is a terrific foundation left here by Jeff Gordon. There's no doubt, you know. I mean, it happens all the time when a, when a general manager is fired for whatever reason, and the successor has immediate success. <laughs> a lot of that success is is due to what his what what his predecessor did, and so, you know, uh, Chris Drury here has been left. Um, a great, uh, great deal of natural resources by Jeff Gordon, and and I think too the the decision was made by by Drury, um, who at one point last year was inter- was offered an interview for the uh, GM's job in Pittsburgh after uh, Jim Rutherford stepped down, um, but I think that Drury and I and I think he was right in this um, believed that this team needed an experienced NHL head coach. Someone who would, you know, someone who had had success in the NHL um, after after David Quinn, and I thought I, I I think that David deserves another job. I think he did well. Um, I think there were, you know, but I think he was learning on the job, and I think at this point, after being out for four years, uh, the Rangers felt they they needed someone who was not going to learn on the job, but you know, who was who had a a track record of success in the NHL. Uh, yeah, we'll get to Gerard Gallant a little bit more in a second, but I wanted to get your thoughts on, you know, beyond the the shakeups in the management and coaching ranks, uh, you know, what you alluded to. They have made changes to try to add uh, some toughness, some grit to the lineup. What do you make of the moves that they did uh, go ahead and end up making this summer on the ice? I, I, th- I, th- I think they – I think they they were actually a little less bold than they thought they're going to be this summer. I think there was going to I thought um, that there was going to be a uh, a pretty dramatic move at the top. Um, maybe that would have been Eichel. Um, you know, it, it's unclear how involved the Rangers were, but but it's unclear how involved anyone was with this dysfunctional situation in Buffalo. I, you know, it is, it is almost impossible to get a handle on it. Um, it, it is, it is one of the worst breakdowns I've, I've seen between a star player and an NHL team in a, in a very, very long time. Um, and I, and the Rangers did have interest in Eichel, how deep it went. I don't know. Uh, they were never to the point where they uh, were in a position to ask to see the medicals. So, Perhaps the Eichel situation put a hold on things, but the Rangers did more work in their bottom six. Their their top six is going to be pretty much the same as last year. They're, they'll they'll shift a couple of players around, I think, but it's the bottom six where they went out and got Goodrow and 
they went out and, and got Ryan Reeves and they went out and got Sammy Blaze. And then on D, they they added Patrick Mammoth and they signed Jared Tenorti, uh, presumably to be their seventh. They're trying to bulk up that way. And um, I think I think they're necessary moves. I, I think they probably uh, overpaid for Goodrow. Um, but they didn't. They didn't really want to get into a bidding war um, for him, and they and they had targeted him. He he was the guy they wanted. They value his grit, and they value his experience on a back-to-back Stanley Cup champion. And, and that you know the Rangers didn't have a player on their team the last couple of years who had won the Stanley Cup. Um, so I, I I think that was a deficiency. They they thought so too, and and they addressed it. Um, Blaze, they like a lot, and they believe that Ryan Reeves will have have value. And and when I was talking to Gallant uh, a few weeks ago, excuse me, he said he said that when from his experience as a player, when you have players like that behind you, everyone plays with more confidence. So the the effect the Rangers. Uh, hope that Ryan Reeves has is on Zabanajad and Panarin and players like that who might be given a little more space um, because Ryan Reeves is going to come on next. And we'll see about that. You're right. Uh, I think you alluded to how well Mika Zabanajad had played in the spring of, of, of 2020. I, the years are starting to run together, but I think it was 2020. Right. <laughs> what a, what a, a, a roaring finish he had. Last year, not so much. Uh, a poor start. So the question, Larry, is Mika Zibanejad, in your mind, a first-line center on a Stanley Cup contender? And do you think that the club signs him at the, to an extension? Because I believe he is right. will be an unrestricted free agent at the end of the season. Yeah, listen, last year, his, his season last year was ruined by COVID. Um, I, th- I think there were other factors, but he, he contracted COVID a week before training camp started, didn't get on the ice until three days before the season opened. And he just, he, he just had a dreadful first 20, 25 games. And it, it was, it, he didn't look like himself. He did nothing well. Um, it, it, you know, it, 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 it was a major issue. And then as the year went on, he improved a little bit and then coincidence or not, uh, David Quinn finally benched him for 10 minutes of a game in New Jersey, which was, a, you know, kind of a shock. I mean, it, it had been coming for a long time, but it's still a shock to see the first line center and, you know, one of their best two players with Panarin. Um, one of the best two forwards um, sitting for 10 minutes. And and then about a week or so after that, and again, perhaps coincidence, perhaps not, when David Quinn was sidelined uh, by COVID and Chris Knobloch came up from Hartford to be the head coach for uh, an eight-day period, Zibanejad took off. He had a, he had a six – he had actually uh, – a pair of hat trick games and six point games against the Flyers within like 10 days. And he finished the season not quite, not quite the way he did the year before, but he finished it v- playing very, very impressive hockey. He is a great goal scorer. Um, do I think he's, a, do I think Mika's advantage at his, at his, at his best is a first line center for a contending team? I certainly do. Um, 
do I think the Rangers will sign him? I think they want to. Um, I think they'd like to. I, I think they they would like to sign him to a six-year deal. He's going to be 29 next summer. Um, so he'll be 29 when his extension starts. He is, I, I believe, looking for seven or eight years. I think um, I was told at the start he was he was looking for somewhere around 10 million a year. Certainly, if the Rangers were going to pay Eichel 10 million, uh, you can understand why Zabanajed would want that 10 million. I don't think I don't believe that's something the Rangers are comfortable with at this point. Seven or eight years at 10 million. I think what was interesting was the deal that Couturier signed in Philly, and it surprised me. But Couturier and, and Zibanejad, over their last four seasons, when they became prominent players, their numbers are almost identical. It, it's remarkable, the stats. Um, Mika is, is, a, is a better goal scorer, and, but Couturier has more assists. Their points, their points per game, they're, they're almost mirror images of each other statistically. And Couturier, who's, who's actually a little bit older than Zibanejad, um, he signed an eight-year deal for 775. And I, I'm not, you know, I can't speak for either side, but I think that's something the Rangers would consider, even though they really don't want to go seven or eight years at this point. They don't want to extend really any player past the age of 35. Um, but I think if the number, the 775 number, I think works extremely well for them. I'm not so sure the 775 works um, nearly as well for Zibanejad's side. And the other, the other, the other complication in this, of course, is is the flat cap, and the fact that the Rangers um, are going to just are, are going to be uh, hammered by the cap in in two years. Um, Adam Fox is going to be coming up next year, and and Fox obviously is going to be a nine or ten million dollar player. They're going to have Kako coming up. They're going to have Lafreniere coming up in a couple of years. Um, you know, they have a lot of big contracts on their team, and. Uh, so they have to be careful with what they do with Zibanejad. And, and, and the other issue is their second line center, Ryan Strom, is also a pending unrestricted free agent. So they have, uh, you know, their top two centers both are playing on expiring contracts. And that's, that's not an optimal situation for, for, uh, for the team. Larry, you mentioned uh, Kako and Lafreniere, the, the second overall pick in 2019 and the first overall in 2020 respectively what do the rangers have in those two guys well i think they have a really good player in, in lafreniere i i think that um and in fact um watching him today he he is lighter he dropped some weight he looked quicker than he was last year i think that was one of the problems um he had last year but you know lafreniere came in last year um Without a, a training camp, there were no exhibition games. It was a bizarre offseason. Um, he was separated from his family for nine or ten months. Uh, he was drafted in October. I think he came to New York to start training, um, I think, in late November or early. Yeah, I think so. I think middle to late November. And he did not see his family again until the season ended, you know, which was in, in the middle of May. So, you know, for a, an 18, 19 year old, you know, boy to, you know, to be separated from his family and from his friends for months was, wasn't easy for him. And, you know, he had a, he had a, uh, you know, a, a challenging year. He did. He had a challenging season. Uh, teams uh, were aware of him, but 
you could you see his skill you see his talent you see his determination um he's going to be a really good player and uh he, he's going to be a, a a real good top six player maybe you know i think he's going to start on their top line this year i think that's the plan to switch from left to right and he'll play with Zibanejad and and Kreider i think that's the way they would like it to go um and i think he'll fit really well there kako is is at a couple of years where um his development has been has been pretty slow and his play away from the puck last year and on the puck last year was improved but you don't you're not selected second overall to be a you know a good defensive player um he hasn't yet um you know he's he he won more battles he was involved in more battles last year than the year before he hasn't yet shown that he's able actually to break out into open ice and he plays a lot on the wall and he's got to get to the front of the net now he looks much bigger he looks a lot bigger of course every summer you say that every every training camp you say that about guys oh he's so much bigger he's so much bigger but um Kako does look significantly bigger the question is for me is is he quick enough to play in this league you know is he is can he get to the net can he can he beat guys and, and i guess if not then is he strong enough to to bull his way to the front so we'll see let's he um the first two years have not been what anybody expected there's there's no question about that i think the transformation i, I think it was a very tough transformation for him from finland to New York and from the bigger ice to the smaller ice. I think, I think it was a little bit tougher than people might have expected, um, but he did make a lot of progress last year on his overall game. Uh, and finally, Larry, you, you mentioned uh, Gerard Gallant earlier. What does he give the Rangers that uh, David Quinn or even anybody who preceded David Quinn didn't? Well, I think he's very much um, like uh, – not necessarily in personality, but but in his approach, I think he's very similar to the way Elaine Vigneault coached this team. I mean, they you know he is a a a, a coach with a proven track record in the NHL. Now he's you know he's not Scotty Bowman, he's not Al Arbor. Um, you know he's he's uh, um, he's had a couple of you know of, of three year experiences but he gets results every place he's been he gets results and the players respond to him and i think that's that's exactly what the rangers management uh was looking for someone who would um who would not be uh, questioned um who wasn't going to be you know who, who didn't have the tag of college coach which i think is just a shortcut criticism of, from people who just didn't like you know a move that David Quinn made or, or didn't make. Um, but I, I, again, I, I think he's, he's a player who demands respect. He's, he's a guy who talks the player's language. Um, he, he seems to, to be a guy who, who um, doesn't pile, you know, doesn't pile rules on these players. And, and um, I think they'll respond to him Um um, much of the way that the team responded to Vino for the first few years. Yeah, Alan, you know, Elaine Vino was a, was an outstanding coach for the Rangers. He really was. So, um, you know, I, I think Gallant is is uh, is 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 someone who uh, gets respect the minute he walks into the room. 
All right, Larry, uh, thank you so much. Uh, anyone who follows the Rangers or follows the league, I mean, Larry's always breaking stories. Uh, follow him on Twitter. Uh, certainly uh, read his columns on New York Post. Slapshots is always a must-read uh, for, for fans around the league. And I, as always, I love having two Hall of Famers on the same broadcast. So Dave Molinari. And that is it for this week's edition of the 66 to 87 podcast uh, we will see you again next week here on dk pittsburgh sports uh, podcasting network